Welcome. I am Aaron Giesbrecht, head QB trainer and owner of Big Air Academy, located in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. And you are tuned in to my podcast called Talking QBs with Coach Gies, a podcast dedicated to the Canadian quarterback and offensive football. And tonight on my 28th episode, I have Winnipeg Blue Bombers linebacker, long snapper, owner of Pro Player U, Mr. Mike Benson. What's going on, Mike? How's it going? Thanks so much for having me. I'm uh, I'm super pumped about this. We've been talking about it for a few weeks, and uh, I'm excited to get going. It's nice to talk to to some more local guys and just uh, just shoot it. I'm excited. Yeah, Thank I'm, you. I'm excited as well. Thanks for being on. Uh, we don't really know each other on a personal level, so I'm I'm excited tonight to kind of learn about you and and your story. Yeah. I think we should just address what's going on right now. Obviously, uh, the CFL season is fast approaching. You're kind of almost entering camp right away. You're kind of going through some medical meetings and different stuff that's going on. Uh, you signed with your hometown team, Winnipeg Blue Bombers. You're quarantining right now. Can you talk about that, Mike? Fill us in with what's going on. It's kind of a strange situation. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, like nothing is really normal right now. But, uh, you know, unfortunately, last year we didn't have a 2020 season because of because of the COVID and the pandemic going on and the log- the very difficult logistics that we had to to battle around there but um we have a season this year and we're starting you know better late than never right? right we have our first game pretty much in exactly a month against hamilton 2019 gray cup rematch yeah. which uh, i'm really looking forward to be a part of but it's an unusual year there's a ton of new rules given the pandemic and the circumstances around covid and uh you know just preparing for this training camp has been different because on a usual year we're we 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 start camp in the middle of May and now we're we're in the middle of July right mm-hmm. so it's you know two months and some change down the road and uh, you know mentally and physically it's tough to stay in you know peak performance and and peak mindset when it's dragging on like that because we didn't really know when exactly we'd be ready to go we just had to be you know ready to go right. but um, we're lucky that it's finally here we're. Geez, I think like 36 or 48 hours away from our very first practice. Nice. We've got uh, meetings, offense, defense, special teams meetings tomorrow. And it's nice to be back around the guys. But yeah, we're, we're quarantining. We have to do a, for a local guy. So, you know, me, Andrew Harris, Dembski, those, those bomber squad guys, all the medical staff, everyone who lives here, we have to do a, a seven-day work quarantine where we're basically under lockdown at the house just to make sure that... Uh, we're not in the general public. We're not, you know, risking of, of transmission or, or or getting it or getting COVID, right, and bringing it into the locker room because right now it's the worst thing that can happen. Uh, right. Going out in the general public and you know catching it somewhere, you know, whether it's at the grocery store or, or what have you, and then bringing it into the locker room, and all of a sudden goes from you know say person X to the entire team, and you know that'll that'll break your your season like look at the vancouver canucks they missed like two weeks the whole team and we're, we're doing everything to prevent that so i'm just i'm at the house hanging out with the dogs uh <laughs> training in the garage and Good. trying to stay ready at the house yeah it's been interesting as you're talking about it, something that kind of came up i'm thinking about you know just that we're routine as athletes right we're used to a routine and with the season kind of you're waiting for it and and also with your training usually you ramp up your training as you get closer to the year right and not knowing not knowing when that was going to come is it does make it difficult just the mindset part behind it too i think is uh is very true i want to kind of rewind back mike where are you from can you talk about your family a little bit growing up and, and maybe some other sports or interests you had born and raised in winnipeg i went to elementary school in river heights and uh you know, I was very fortunate enough to be able to go to St. Paul's. My mom worked her butt off as a teacher and, and put money aside to be able to afford to go there. So I went to St. Paul's. Uh, I graduated in 2005, which is a very long time ago for some people. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we were still a dynasty team back then. I've got a ring, mm-hmm. um, which is great. I was, you know, coached by Stacey Daynard, who's still there, an incredible coach and, and individual human being. So I went to St. Paul's for high school, elementary school in River Heights. Um, I played junior football here. I played for the Rifles. I was really fortunate enough to be a, a multi, multi, multi-sport athlete. And I think, honestly, like that's a, a huge reason why I am where I am today is because I didn't set my sight on a certain sport early, right? I didn't commit to one sport. I, I was fortunate enough to be able to do everything. I played baseball. I, 
I played recreational hockey. I played lacrosse. I wrestled in high school. And I only started playing football really just going into high school. I played, uh, I played one year of community football for the Crescentwood Grizzlies. And then, and then boom, we, we were at St. Paul's. So I started playing in grade nine and, and the rest is history. But, you know, I was really fortunate enough to be able to dabble in every sport, baseball, you know, all of that, all of that kind of stuff, which really gave me a bat belt Mm -hmm. (laughs) of of tools, right? Hand-eye coordination, balance, running, change of direction, like, you know, things that you need for football that, you know, isn't just playing football. So yeah, I grew up playing everything. And then, you know, as you get older, you really can only pick one or two sports because as you get older, the seasons get longer and uh, sports get more expensive. So yeah, as I got older, I, I broke it down to, I wrestled in grade 12, I played lacrosse and I played football. I played hockey recreationally, but you know, hockey is a, a really big privileged sport and, uh, and it was, you know, it was pricey to play, but, um, you know, I played recreationally, but never very competitively, but I stuck out with, you know, lacrosse was my number one sport, to be honest, uh, going out of high school, if I had to pick football or lacrosse or even honestly if if college wrestling was an option really in canada i probably would have picked lacrosse or wrestling you know being in canada you don't really have a lot of post-secondary options for lacrosse and and neither for wrestling and you know back in the days of we didn't even have highlight tapes you very rare did you have a vhs highlight tape um yeah that's what i said i said vhs (laughs) (laughs) you know it was tough to get it was tough to get recruited so You know, I just played multi-sports and didn't really put a huge emphasis on football. It wasn't until, you know, later on when I played, uh, when I played majors for a year for the Mustang is when I got an opportunity to, to go out and try out for the rifle. I was with coach Paul Normando and that's when it, that's when football really came apparent when I was like 21 years old. Oh, wow. I took a, I took a couple years off after high school and, mm-hmm. you know, I think because I still kept playing multiple sports, it kept me in that, you know, utility player type position where you could go and play football after you know taking a couple years off and still be relevant totally long and drew out that community where you from question but i enjoyed it i think the number one thing is is i had fun playing sports and i didn't really put a huge emphasis or pressure on trying to go to the next level i very much just lived in the now you know what i really like about that mike is just and it's so true is that you know playing all the different sports whether you're as a young kid, like dreaming of playing at a, at a high level or not, like playing different sports just gives you so much more attributes. You become more of a natural mover. I can tell right away with guys that I train who, who plays, you know, multiple sports, you can just tell by their movements, right? Like, yeah, um, and, absolutely. And, and also if you challenge them to something new, typically guys that have played multiple sports can pick it up pretty quickly. Right. But um, you talked about playing Crescentwood Grizzlies. I'm interested as a young kid, what was your first football memory? Was it that first year playing ball? You know what? I'm not going to lie. I was pretty, I wouldn't say like, I was nervous. I was a really like kind of anxious kid. And, um, okay. you know, not knowing anybody on that Crescentwood team and, and being a new kid to football, it's, it's really, it's an intimidating sport, right? Because football, now that I look back at it and we get real deep into the question, mm-hmm. um, it's not an easy sport to pick up. You have offense, you have defense, you have 12 totally different positions. And then you have special teams, which is five other types of teams all on its own. Mm-hmm. So when you're new to football and you don't really know the rules, except for I want to score a touchdown, it's, it's really intimidating. So I think that first year was a huge just, I don't really know what's going on. In football, I know that I played defense and whoever had the ball I was supposed to hit. Right. Um, but honestly, my first memory I think ever was grade nine. I went to St. Paul's and they had a rec tackle football yeah. league. And they this. don't have it anymore because they, you know, they've had, they had JV and then they had double I guess it's triple A and double A. Yeah. And now that, now I think they just have the one and, and the two, I think. Yes, but yes. Um, back when I was there, we had, you know, grade nines and grade tens, you could play recreational tackle football at high school, not, you know, playing for the A squad or the the double A squad. It was, it was like pickup basketball. Like you had practice after school. Okay. You were coached, you were coached by grade 12 players, which was the coolest thing ever. Cool. Um, Being able to interact with older guys in high school is pretty rare. Yeah. Um, But play tackle football. And um, it turned out that I was actually like pretty pretty decent at football. <laughs> and, 
I think like my, my biggest memory was, uh, I know our rec team, we won the championship that year and I had a couple interceptions for touchdowns and some big hits and really just kind of like finding my niche in the game Mm -hmm. and, uh, and learning about like the camaraderie in that team sport. Right. And, um, being able to communicate and you get behind that team atmosphere, finally, like, you know, finding some friends for the first time and coming, coming out of your shell and, uh, and excelling at a sport. It was, it was an all around, like, it was a great experience that year. Great night. Back at it for second quarter action with coach Gies and Mike Benson. So, Mike, uh, we're naturally a little bit rivals. I'm an Oak Park alumnus. Uh, I was voted into the Hall of Fame in 2019, which I'm pretty proud of. You attended St. Paul's. You kind of talked about it a little bit before. Can you get into your time at St. Paul's? Tell me about some of the players and coaches that you played for and, and kind of some memorable moments. Subtle subtle flex there on the, on the <laughs> Hall of Fame. Uh, Mike, Benson, Mike Benson, grad 05, um, Hall of Fame status currently pending, <laughs> if anyone hears this. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, gra- I graduated from St. Paul's in, uh, in 2005 and, um, you know, it was great again, like going back to that first quarter, I was, I now really recognize what privilege is and what it encompasses. And I truly am very fortunate to have had that opportunity. I can't thank my mom enough for putting money aside for several years to to be able to give me that opportunity and sacrificing, sacrificing so much. And, um, I don't think it was until I graduated and and matured a little more, you know, did I realize, you know, how lucky and grateful I really am to have that experience. And I got a championship out of it in 03 as well. So, you know, it all kind of worked out, but you know, I played under Stacy Daner for three years and he's still an incredible Incredible teacher, incredible human being, um, amazing coach, obviously, as his, yep. as his resume tells. You know, he's been there, well, geez, it's 2005, 16 years, and then he was the head coach for three years before, two years before that, too. So he's been doing it for almost 20 years, which is incredible for any coach. Absolutely. Um, whether it's, you know, whether it's an Adam coach or a college coach, it's hard to have that tenor like that. So hats off to him, but... You know, I was really lucky to play for St. Paul's because we have some really good coaches and there were some really, really good guys there. And it was, it was I was lucky too because I got to go up against guys like Eddie Steele when he played for Calvin. And I, it's funny, actually, like now that I'm finally teaming up with Andrew Harris again because we, we're now playing in Winnipeg together. We played in BC together. Mm-hmm. Um, he went to Grant Park um, for a couple years. We played against right. him in the finals and uh, shut him down. Um, <laughs> I like it. No big deal. Oh, yeah. um, and then we won that championship. And then we played against him again at Oak Park. Um, yeah. I think he tra- he transferred schools and, and went to Oak Park. And then we shut him down again and beat them again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the, it's great. Um, I think, like, you know, the best memory of, of high school football is, you know, the friends that you make because you spend so much time together, like Monday to Friday, every day after school, you get to, you get to play sports with some of your best friends. And, you know, I was lucky enough that we won a championship one year. Don't take it for granted. And for anyone who has the luxury of ever winning a championship, because I haven't had the luxury of winning a championship since we won in, we won in Oh three and I've only ever won a conference championship um, in the Atlantic conference for college football once okay. since then. So, you know, going on 17 years, one championship. So, and it's something I'll never forget. Even I've played, this is my going into my ninth year of the CFL. And that is like, I remember that game. It was like minus 38 and the snow was in Canada ends and I'll never forget it. It was the best out of all yeah. these years. That was, that was it. Yeah. Know, relish in the moment. You know what? I've had other guests on, and when we, whenever we talk about high school, you can just tell on all yeah. of our faces. This is like what makes us glow, right? And it's so true about like when you're in high school, you're playing with your buddies, and, and yeah, there's just it's just a different. There's just something so different about it. So you know, to be able to win a high school championship is huge. I, I don't have any any championships in uh, in tackle football. I've won some in other sports, but I'm still searching for mine. So uh, you know what? Uh, winning's not easy. Winning at a high level is not easy. I've actually been to so many championship games, both as a player and 
as a coach, yeah. you know, to not come through. So, uh, you know, I'm still in search of that as well. So I, I totally agree with you. So after St. Paul's, what, what happens next? Where do you go with football after St. Paul's? It was, uh, I have a, a, I think a, uh, a crazy journey of my career in football because, you know, like I said, in first quarter, getting scouted to other colleges and universities was not just that easy. Like as easy as it is now, we didn't have a huddle or we right. didn't have highlight tapes that you could just, you know, edit on your phone and drag and drop and save and put on Instagram and Facebook. Like none of those things existed. I mean, we barely had dial up internet <laughs> and uh, DVDs were like this new rare thing. So you can imagine how hard it was putting together a VHS highlight tape. And, you know, those opportunities that everyone's getting now weren't presented to you you know, back then, I mean, we had your choices of like, maybe Saskatchewan kind of heard, got wind of you. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe Dobie at Bison's got wind of you. And that was basically it, right. you know, and um, I had a pretty good high school career in football, um, you know, did really well. But, you know, again, that wasn't, that wasn't the main goal was to try to get a scholarship. The, the, the main goal was to graduate, right. you know, and graduate with a at least for, you know, myself, I was to graduate with a good enough GPA so that you could go to college. Um, so after high school was over, I didn't play football again. I took probably like two years off wow. um, of football and I went to University of Manitoba, uh, started studying, you know, kinesiology for a bit, dabbled around. I'm not gonna lie, I got, got kind of bored, bored of it. And then I went to Europe for a year. I, I full on just quit the athlete thing and I moved to Vienna, Austria and actually became like an au pair, a nanny, okay. believe it or not. And, um, you know, taught kids English and just kind of traveled for a year on a little Mike Benson, you know, self-discovery tour. And then when I came back, you know, there was something missing. There's something about team sports that wants you to keep playing right there. You know, it's the camaraderie, it's joking in the locker room. It's the competitiveness for some, yeah. you know, it's maybe it's the contact, the, the physicality of it. You know, so, there's something that you'll always miss about a team sport. And I missed a lot of those things. And uh, so I started going to the gym when I got back because, you know, backpacking in Europe, you walk a lot. And, you know, I became about the size of a DB um, in, a, in a linebacker fullback body. So right. I, was, I went back to the gym. And I'm like, I think I'm going to play football again. So I played, I actually signed up to play football with the St. Patel Mustangs on the major team. And, uh, had an unbelievably fun season and very successful season too. I uh, was like the co-MVP of the league, defensive MVP. I had an incredible season, right? Very successful, a lot of fun. Again, like enjoying myself, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then from there, uh, Rifles actually contacted me and was like, hey, you should, you should come try out. You have a very good chance of, of being able to play. So I did, and and then the opportunities just started, you know, presenting themselves. Um, I played rifles for two years. I had, you know, a really good time there. I developed more as a football player. I matured. I was in the weight room a lot more. And then, uh, and then, you know, as soon as rifles was done and you age out at 22, I, I thought that was it. You know, I'm done. I'm done my semi-competitive-ish sports sure. career now i'll play rec hockey and and drink some beer and and have at it but then you know opportunities started presenting themselves for for post-secondary for college got the opportunity to go to acadia which was amazing um but it was and i never ex again i never expected to get a scholarship offer and you know when schools started calling it actually made me have to like look into i was already i went back to u of m i was still in kinesiology and now I had to start looking at colleges and, and figuring out, you know, because you don't want to just pick any college. If you have the opportunity to further your education through sport, then I, you really need to seize that opportunity and take advantage of the gifts that you have to help give yourself another gift of education, right? So I had to look around. I had the opportunity to go to University of Alberta, Simon Fraser, University of Toronto, um, UBC was up there, Mount Allison in New Brunswick and, uh, and Acadia. And, uh, I did my, and I was older than two, I was 22 years old and I wanted to go back to college. I knew this and, uh, I wanted to find something that really worked this time for me. Okay. Right. So 
being blessed with the opportunity to play college football is amazing, but then actually using it to get a, a degree out of it as well is even even better. So I chose Acadia because they're because they're academically sound. Um, it's an amazing undergrad, no matter what you end up graduating with, or even if you only go for a few years, it, it's an amazing school to be able to go to, right? They present a lot of unique opportunities and the coach and um, the football players when I went on my recruit trip just sold it all. Um, so that's where I ended up signing and I played there for two years. What I'm interested in, Mike, is when did you start long snapping? Was that when you were at the college level or were you doing that beforehand? Because obviously that is you know, played a factor into your career. It, it did a hundred percent. Um, I was a really, I was a good linebacker, mm -hmm. right? I had, you know, all the tools to be a really good linebacker, but I also had the ability to long snap and uh, I started snapping in high school. Um, okay. our long snapper in grade 10 got hurt and we had no one else because that was such a rare thing. Like no one really ever thinks highly of special teams until you get to, I think the very competitive level where you understand that in Canada, you know, special teams is a third of the game and it'll right. make or break your wins. Yeah. So we were basically doing snapping auditions the week of a game in high school. And I remember they were just like, who can throw a ball between your legs? I was like, I don't know. I, I, why not? I mean, it's just upside down. Yeah, it doesn't look that and, hard. Uh, and first snap went 14 yards right back into their hands. I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> why not? And right. then, uh, and now I'm here nine years in the CFL later, still throwing things upside down. <laughs> Whatever works, man. That's yeah. awesome. So yeah, I started in high school and I snapped a little bit in junior when okay. I played for the rifles. And then, uh, that was one of the reasons why I went out to Acadia is, uh, Jeff Cummins, the head coach there was a long snapper. Okay. Uh, incredible DN. He played for Toronto and Hamilton and had some stints in, in NFL played in Oregon um, for college. And he was like, yeah, you can long snap. Like you can make a career out of this. Just yeah. come and do it. And you know, I'll help you out and you know, you'll play linebacker and all that. And, and I did, and I snapped in college and I played linebacker and I actually played D end in second and long situations because of my speed. Okay. And, uh, was a special teams demon and it was great, but I've been doing it since high school. Back at it for third quarter action with Mike Benson and Coach Gies. So, Mike, last week I had an epic episode with uh, former CFL specialists Sean Gallant and Corey Huckluck. Those two guys are hilarious, uh, and they made a living on special teams. You've been able to have a lengthy pro career. I'm interested. Can you talk to my audience about your entire pro career? Take me from the beginning till now, all the stops along the way, memorable moments, coaches, players, you know, whatever sticks out to you. Yeah, it's, I've been very fortunate to, to play as long in the CFL as I have been already. And hopefully, mm -hmm. you know, the end isn't in sight. Going into my ninth year, it, uh, and being a veteran for the last several seasons, you learn a lot and you're able to kind of like sit back and really take a lot in. It teaches you a lot and you learn a lot. And um, it's, it's kind of like climbing Mount Everest and then you get to the top and all of a sudden you fall down the other side. And uh, just to like wake up to another Mount Everest that you have to climb again, right. and falling off of it is inevitable. It's it's a roller coaster ride trying to play professional sports, mm -hmm. whether it's football or hockey or, or anything. You know, I've been cut tons of times, right? I didn't always start in the CFL. You know, when I was a really good college player, and you come up to the pros, and all of a sudden everybody is faster than you, right? It's it's humbling. Right. And you go from being a starter wherever you were to, you know, someone who's on the bubble of training camp. And, you know, you go from being a starter one year to being cut the next year and not really being able to explain why, you know, whether it's politics or someone comes along that's, you know, better than you. And trust me, there's always going to be someone that's better than you. If I could say anything, it's train like someone is coming to take your job every single day because they are. If you think that, you know, because there's no one behind you on the depth chart, you're safe. Absolutely not. Cause I can guarantee in the managing office, there is a list of guys on magnets for days of guys they can call in and bring in and bring in and bring in. Like you can't take days off, right? You can't, you can't take it for granted, but you, you can enjoy yourself in the moment. It's a, it, it's a, it's a professional job as much as it is a game. It's, it's you, you, you have to perform. It's a performance-based job and it, it teaches you a lot. I mean, I got cut, 
I got put on the practice roster for half the season my first year in Edmonton, and I got called up for the second half. Was starting for that that whole second half of the season and went into the playoffs, started. Next year, I was like, oh, this is no problem. I got this. 2013, I get put on the practice roster after training camp, and I'm like, how? I outperformed the other guy hands down. It was – they are talking about it on the radio. How could I be put back to practice roster? Like. Right. How is this possible? But it happens. And that's, and that's professional sports. Mm-hmm. And you just, and you're either going to learn from it and grow from it and become a better athlete and person, or you're going to let it, or you're going to let it sink you. And, um, you can, you, you have two paths to choose. And I chose to learn from it and grow from it and, and try to, and try to persevere. And it teaches you a lot. It teaches you to be humble. Right, because you're going up against guys who are the same as you. They're, you're going up against the guys who are the same but better than you in, in certain aspects. It's always a challenge, and you just you got to come to work every day ready to give it 110. percent And you know that being said, I've had an amazing journey, and I am very thankful. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't change anything about being cut mm-hmm. or being traded or, you know being released right before training camp and not having anywhere to go for the first four weeks, um, thinking that football's done. I wouldn't trade any of those experiences for anything different. Because like I said, you can either choose to persevere and grow and become a better athlete in person, or you can point fingers and blame and take the lower road, right? It'll, it'll make or break you. And, and I just, everything happens for a reason. I just really strongly recommend everybody to, try to persevere no matter what. And worst case scenario is being able to play a team sport has made you the person that you'll end up being today. And you'll take a lot of those skills that you learned and you'll be able to really succeed in whatever you do next is if I could kind of summarize that, but I've been very, very privileged and tons. I've I've played with incredible athletes, um, incredible athletes, right? I've met dozens and dozens and dozens of interesting people and I wouldn't trade anything. And it's, it's been an absolute, the light so far and knock on some wood i hope to keep doing it for a few more years i I love the honesty about just the reality of you know playing pro sports and just how it is especially as as a canadian athlete that's playing on special teams right that's really where you're making your hay and it's you know, it, it can be stressful, right? You never know from moment to moment. Like you said, you can outperform a guy, but maybe because of the numbers, you're the guy out, whatever. You're the guy going yep. to the practice roster, right? And you got to be able to deal with that. But I really liked what you talked about, kind of that mental aspect of it. how are you going to actually look at this scenario and how can I benefit rather than looking yeah. at it like poor me, uh, you know, I'm a victim or whatever, blaming people. So yep. uh, I really... and it's, it's, it's easy to say it now because I've been on both sides of the spectrum. Sure. And, it, and I've had the experience, mm-hmm. right? But trust me, given, you know, if this was 2013 and I just got cut from Edmonton training camp and put on the practice roster, you know, for what I thought was no reason, now I realize and I grow from it, mm-hmm. right? So it's easier said now that I've experienced it a lot and I'm a little older and, and wise, I like to say wiser um, <laughs> than, than, be, than being in the moment. But um yeah, there's definitely a huge mental side to it. And as much as it sucks getting cut now to anyone who happens to get cut, um, it happens for a reason and you get to choose your future. Either break those bridges or still walk across them somehow and then just choose a different road, right? So just, I love that. it'll work out. I love that, Mike. So you start yeah. off your career in Edmonton. You're there for a few years. Then you go to BC. Is that the next stop? I kind of, yeah. So I was, uh, I signed. So when I started playing in the CFL, there was only three rounds, three draft draft rounds. And then there was a like preliminary round where there was a couple extra bonus rounds because there just wasn't the level of talent there is now back then. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, So we had three rounds and then you had a couple extra bonus rounds. So I signed the day after the draft and kind of like the bonus rounds in, in Edmonton. I played Played half the season my first year and dressed a couple games in year two. Um, and then going into year three, I actually got traded to Toronto. Oh, okay. Yeah, they traded me for a draft pick. And uh, again, learning learning to triumph over, over and making the best out of an adverse situation. Mm-hmm. I went through training camp and then got cut after week one. Oh. 
Um, you know, so I was shortstop in Toronto. And then I was very, very fortunate that five weeks later, I signed in BC in 2014 and played three quarters of the season in BC and then went on to play four consecutive seasons in BC. So I played five years there total. Yeah. And then, uh, and then from there, I went and played in Ottawa for a year. Mm-hmm. And then I was supposed to play in Montreal last year, but the pandemic happened. Um, so there was no football. And, uh, and now I'm here. I don't have to move anymore. And I'm in my home city and my suitcases are away and my family is thankful and my dog doesn't have to stress. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's awesome. Good for you, buddy. Okay, so here's here's my question for you. You're a special teams guy. What's it like running down the field at a million miles an hour in the chaos of what's pursuing, trying to make a tackle on a speedy returner guy? Take me through that process. Well, for my position specifically, first things first is make sure you snap the ball to the punter. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah, that's important. First things first, before you even think about taking a step down the field, yeah. <laughs> get the ball to his hands. Block a guy that's trying to block the football and then run down the field. Um, so after those two critical things are done, then the real chaos ensues because there's bodies flying everywhere. Yes. Guys are trying to come hit you from the side. There, you get clipped from behind. You, you know, and the CFL is tricky with special teams because they disguise the returns very, very well. Um, now that I'm a seasoned vet, I really do have a good idea of what's happening all the time, and things have really slowed down. You know, to the point where it's just you're I'm able to run down and play against guys I used to play before and make fun of them as I'm running down the field. <laughs> um, but the first like two years of my career, I was just like right. red light, green light, blue light, one, two, three blotch. Like I had no idea. Right. Um, <laughs> it's tough. It's tough because everybody is just as fast, if not faster, everybody is just as big, if not bigger. And the returners are, NFL speed returners with a field that is significantly wider. Yes. (laughs) Um, So you really, really need to know how to take angles of pursuit. Um, You know, when I was younger and had a little more juice in my, in my wheels, I made, you know, some career highlight tackles off of, off of Brandon Banks, one of the fastest returners in the league, because you really just need to know how to read angles and pursuit and, um, and you just get to know the game, you know, really well. But you can't just fly out of control because if you fly out of control and you can't put the brakes on and change directions, you are going to be just humiliated so much the next day in the film. <laughs> and it's not that you don't want to be humiliated in film because great, great, great athletes have to make fantastically horrible mistakes mm-hmm. in order to pursue greatness. Yeah. But uh, you got to follow the systems. Right. You have to do your job. There's no there's no ad libbing in football, especially in special teams. You know this. You have one job and you have to do it. If you don't do it, they're going to score a touchdown. Right. If you don't do your job, they're going to make a tackle for a loss. You can't be an independent hero. Um, So be an amazing athlete and you got to work in the systems that you're given, whether you like it or not. Mm -hmm. And good things will happen if the tackle is meant to come to you. It'll come to you. If it doesn't, you did your job forcing it to where you need to go. And if you're lucky enough to make the tackle, break down, slow down and square your hips up and drive your legs through because, yeah, some guy might only be 180 pounds and I'm 230, but if he runs that much faster than me and I stop my feet, well, physics, I'm going to get run over. And it happens. (laughs) Oh, it's great. great. It is fun. Uh, Canadian special teams is extremely dynamic. We, yeah. uh, that's another thing we discussed last week that a lot of people don't really think about is just that it's such a large part of the CFL game. It's really important. And, and like you said, if, if one guy doesn't do his job on the field that we have against those returners that you're facing, it's a touchdown. Like they're going to take advantage, yeah. right? Or they're going to block. It, they're it, block it, it a is a touchdown or... every time. Yeah. <laughs> like there is – the, the special teams coordinators in the CFL are so good that they know every single player, whether it's on punt or punt return or kickoff, they know what they're going to do. And if you're a guy who's chronically not going to do your job, mm-hmm. you're going to get exposed and they're going to gain some serious yards on you and make you look like a fool. And that's how you lose your job. You gotta, you have to do your job, right? You have to be very disciplined 
and you have to be a team player. You can't be an individual anymore. Right. right. But the, the most fantastic thing about the, the Canadian game, which you guys definitely talked about last week is if your defense isn't on that day or your offense isn't on that day, yeah. your special teams is on, you make up for that third. Right. So now you still have two thirds, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you can, you can make or break games playing special teams. Like if your offense isn't doing great, but your special teams is constantly winning field position, you're going to win. Yep. You can score on special teams. And I think if I can say one thing, kind of getting a little off topic is, mm-hmm. uh, Canadian coaches in in call in university, I keep saying college, in university and 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 under, like in high school and junior, yeah. they don't appreciate special teams the way they should. Um, and nobody wants to play special teams, mm-hmm. right? In high school, you always want to be the star. Um, but the the reality is that we're playing a Canadian game that you know relies on good special teams. And I think it needs to be a much larger emphasis in the Canadian game growing up in the grassroots mm-hmm. because, you know, I'm living proof. Like I made a career out of playing special teams yeah. because I loved it. And I think coaches need to learn to love special teams too, because you can take a mediocre team and beat a very good team just by being good on special teams. And uh, I think coaches need to start respecting special teams a lot more and really taking advantage of the strategy that comes along with the Canadian game. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that's, that's great. Sidetrack. I just had to do yeah, my piece. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, that's great insight, Mike. I love it. Um, yeah. I'm interested in, in, in your nine year career. Who are some of the better quarterbacks you played with? And have you noticed maybe a common trait between those guys that kind of makes them the elite guys compared to the guys that are maybe just so average? So I'm going to, I'm going to give you a huge list of quarterbacks okay. and they all have one thing in common. A hundred percent. It is work ethic, work ethic, work ethic. These guys come in at 6am and they're gone well after practice is over. Like our general meetings, you know, in the CFL usually start at say like 8:45 or 9am okay. and we're done off the field at like 1pm and we're done. These guys come in at 6 a.m. Mm-hmm. and they're there until like 3 p.m. Like they're there three hours before, three hours after, studying film, you know, going over plays. Like they know everything. It's the work ethic that makes these unbelievable QBs unbelievable. And, you know, I played with Travis Lule for a, a large amount of years. He's one of the best quarterbacks I've ever played with. I played with Kerry Joseph going mm-hmm. going back down a trip of memory lane unbelievable athlete i played with trevor harris when he was first starting out who's now obviously the starter in edmonton and in ottawa um jeremiah mazzoli who's an incredible athletic quarterback i played with him in his rookie year at edmonton ricky ray one of the best quarterbacks ever um you know jonathan jennings there's there's so many cody fajardo right um he was a rookie like three years ago with me in bc unbelievable human but he was a third string quarterback in 2000 was it 18 I think. I think so, yeah. Third string quarterback. He still got there at 6:30 a.m. with Travis Lule and he was still there at 3:30 p.m., you know, putting in six extra hours of work a day. Yeah. And now he is in lineup for MOP of the league and an incredible quarterback in Saskatchewan. All of these guys started out as third string quarterbacks, but they all put in the same amount of work, right? And dedication and love for the game. And they worked hard and they went from third string. And especially like being a third string American quarterback in a Canadian league is tough. That's usually a one year and done gig. And the only thing that separates the guys that are one and done and having an incredible fruitful career, which all of these guys are having, is the incredible work ethic, right? you got to put in the work. And it's in the weight room and it's in the film room and it's with coaches. Like it's a complete circle, Absolutely. right? It's not just, you know, a, a piece of the pie. It's the whole thing. Fourth quarter action with Mike Benson and Coach Geese. So, Mike, through the pandemic, I've made a lot of life changes and gotten quite a bit healthier. And, you know, I still got a long way to go, but I'm, I'm proud of the progress. And it was really the pandemic and kind of being locked in and, and needing to, you know, do something to fill my time that kind of led to that. 
you know, you've got a background, you, you run your own gym. I'm interested. When did that idea to start running your own gym, when did that pop in your head and, and kind of take me through developing your own business? I'd say since like 2010, when I really got involved in like kinesiology and strength training and maybe 2008, actually, and I started really training hard, you know, the year before I started playing rifles and, you know, reading about different strength training strategies and, and concepts and theories and, and really getting involved in it, you know, 2008, 2009, 2010. And then, you know, going to Acadia, honestly, was was a game changer for me because it exposed me to a level of off-season training that I didn't know existed. Um, now, non-biasedly, yeah, I'm Acadia alumni. Um, they, from what I've seen, you know, from playing all across the country, they have one of the best off-season strength and conditioning programs in this nation. Hands down, non-biasedly, one of the best. And I got to experience it. Um, Acadia puts a huge emphasis, first and foremost, on academics. No matter how high your GPA is, you have to go to study hall, right? And, you know, I had a, I, I tried really hard my second, my second time at university there. And, you know, I had a, a great GPA, but I still had to go to study hall. And then on top of that, you have mandatory strength training times based on your university schedule. Um, so, you know, you're either in the morning group or the afternoon group or the evening group, and then you have mandatory speed and conditioning days at 5 a.m. twice a week. So in an off season, you're training mandatory six times a week in the weight room, whether it's, you know, speed, conditioning, or strength, and twice a week in study hall. So you're there eight days out of seven days a week somehow. Right. Um, but that school built what it is to be a student athlete. And they used a program there that involved so much discipline and accountability that Honestly, I wish every single team had that opportunity. Um, and it really raises a lot of questions for why, uh, why teams don't do that. Because having a committed team in the off season is going to make you that much better in the season. Right. And with a game like football, there is no off season. It should not be, you know, voluntary workouts. It needs to be mandatory in mm -hmm. football. And there's a lot of post-secondary schools in Canada that do not have mandatory anything. And you can tell by their programs, right? You can tell their programs suffer. And, you know, Acadia might not have the most amount of money, right, to recruit the, the A-class players, but they constantly turn over competitive teams because of what they built. And it's with what I learned there and through studying and reading, um is what i wanted to to bring out right and then you know playing in edmonton and playing under some of the best strength coaches in the nation you did you learn a lot and i was able to do an internship at acadia for a strength coach um after my first year in edmonton which taught me so much and you know i was really good friends with the strength coaches in edmonton and in bc my first couple years become like a mentor right you ask questions right you ask the right questions you put yourself in those positions where you if you want to learn you learn a lot Right. Because you're not going to learn from anybody better. And, you know, I was training people since 2008. And then it became a real passion in like 2013, 14, when I was training people in Edmonton and learning an internship. And uh, when I came back to Winnipeg for the first time in five years after, you know, playing for Edmonton and Toronto and BC and then going back to Acadia for school and that internship, I realized that. Winnipeg did not have what those other cities or Acadia has. To me, it is it was unfair to not give those opportunities that I had to the grassroots programs and the younger athletes in Winnipeg. And that's why I started Pro Player U in 2015 under the same fundamentals and theories and systems that I learned in, you know, Edmonton and BC and Acadia and from what I've done from what I've done on my own, I I wanted to create what I had there here, right? I wanted to give kids the opportunities to take their training and their performance to the next level. And, you know, they just, there wasn't in my mind, anything like that here. And that, and that's what I did is I developed a, a series of programs to give kids the tools that they need in their tool belt, right. To succeed at the next level. 
Um, and my, my biggest theory is my biggest idea, which isn't mine, it's 100% not mine, um, is your skill set is like, it's a pyramid, right? And everyone's kind of heard the pyramid theory, but you know, your skills and your ability is it's a pyramid and it's only going to be as tall as your pyramid is wide. wide yeah. Right. And your base, you know, encompasses everything that is strength and conditioning, mm-hmm. right? If you have a narrow base, right. If you don't expose yourself to speed mechanics, lifting mechanics, proper theories and systems and, and training regimes and, and just strength training in general, but appropriately, your base is going to be narrow and you're never going to be able to get to the top. And I wanted to get people and athletes, not just football, but every sport, I want them to have a huge, huge, huge wide base so that they can get to that top. They can get those same opportunities that I had. And, you know, that's why I created Pro Player U. I wanted people to have those opportunities. Right. I wanted athletes who might not be naturally gifted, who have to work harder and who are willing to put in the work um, to get to the next level through systems like this. And I wanted people to be able to have that available to them. One of the other things I was thinking about that you were talking about that popped in my head and coach uh, Jordy Wilson of the Winnipeg Rifles would say this to, to the team is, you know, being a football player during the season you're a football player in the off season you know you're a weightlifter like thing right so i, I really uh, i really agree with kind of that notion you've uh, also done a little bit of coaching you've been involved with the winnipeg wolfpack can you can you talk about you know your experience working with the women i've been helping out the wolfpack as their strength conditioning coach and, and their special teams coordinator and, and a linebacker coach for a while i actually approached them because when i got back to the city i didn't really there wasn't very much women's football. And then I just kind of, after being in the city in the off seasons, you kind of catch wind of things. You heard, you know, you heard about the fearless and then I heard about the wolf pack and honestly, the wolf pack just happened to be practicing closer to my house. <laughs> okay. um, and I just reached out to them and I think it was like 2017, I think. Sure. And I was like, I would love to come by and help. Um, I love coaching and I love teaching people what I've been able to learn. Right. Because I love seeing people succeed. And I was like, you know, and there's just not that many coaches for women's football. Well, one, there's not very many women's football teams in comparison to obviously male football. Um, But that being said, there's not as many coaches either. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they deserve the exact same opportunities that we have. And I wanted to, I wanted to teach them as much as I possibly could in the little, little amount of time that I, that I had. So I started helping in 2017 as their strength conditioning coach, just kind of giving my little two cents on the sideline. And then, you know, 2018, 2019, I became their special teams coordinator and had a little more permanent role because I had more time a little bit, you know, in the off seasons and in early May before training camp, because they start their season starts, you know, a month before I got to leave. So I actually had time to be there for the whole season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the rest is history. Like I love, I love coaching, you know, um, they're an amazing team to coach for. I've had the ability to, to coach a lot of incredible athletes that have gone through that team, a lot of team Canada players and a lot of, a lot of athletes who now have opportunities to go play in that women's professional league in the States. Yeah. Um, you know, Bree Ward and Hannah McEwen are phenomenal athletes in the city female athletes in the city and now their hard work and again work ethic uh has presented it them, themselves an amazing opportunity to go get paid for a sport that they love and they deserve it 100 yeah. percent. and that's what i love seeing again is giving athletes the tools that they deserve right to to further their career and the, the perfect examples right there also another shout out jill fast a linebacker for the wolfpack mm-hmm. she's uh she's been a client of mine for a very long time one of the hardest working athletes I've ever had just wants to learn constantly, but now she has an opportunity to be the first ever, doesn't even matter. Um, but she's now has an opportunity to be a head coach in Portage and, um, she's the first ever woman to do so, which is absolutely incredible. She is a, I don't, she's a pioneer. She's paving her own way. She's raising the bar way higher and she's a phenomenal person and she's going to be an incredible coach. Um, she has more knowledge than most coaches I know. And uh, I'm very proud of her, and she's going to do a great deal of good for Portage. It's going to be great to see. Female athletes out there that are doing amazing things, and they're not getting credit for it. And, uh, 
there's a lot of people coming out of the wolf pack that deserve tons of credit amazing athletes amazing coaches great staff it's, it's fun no i i completely agree with you i have a 13 year old daughter and unfortunately she is the spitting image of her dad so <laughs> I, i've been trying to encourage her to uh you know potentially play tackle we actually had her signed up before the pandemic hit and then yeah. she didn't get to play but uh but, you know, every time that I, I've seen the posts of, of the women that you have referenced and, you know, them getting these opportunities to play pro ball and I'm screenshotting it and sending it to my daughter. I'm like, hey, like, look at these opportunities. You can play for Team Canada. Well, you can do these things. You, uh, you had Isabel McDonald on yeah. a couple of weeks ago and she's been a very long time client of mine. And mm -hmm. um, I'm not taking any credit for any of their any of their successes um, because they are the hardest working athletes I have right? All of that credit is on them, mm -hmm. right? They have the work ethic. They have the drive. I literally am just the dude who writes stuff on a board and then subtly does passive aggressive comments to make them work harder. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah. it's amazing. Like now she's off in, in Manchester yeah. in the UK playing for a women's football team out there. It's incredible. Yeah, it is incredible. And also Joe yeah. Fast as well, getting the coaching opportunity as a head coach. Uh, Wooden Portage is awesome. One more thing about the women I want to ask you, it, you know, obviously I, I coach mainly males. I, I have coached a little bit of females um, here and there at a couple of different camps and some one-on-one -on -one sessions. But uh, what is working with the females kind of taught you that maybe you wouldn't have gained from the males or what's different about coaching females to males? They listen. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, I love coaching women because they for the most part, they value who you are as a teacher and a, as a coach, and they all want to get it better. Um, they show their appreciation and gratitude, mm -hmm. and um, it reflects during practice. And, you know, they everyone has egos and stuff, but I, for 95% of the time, they just, they want to learn and they want to work hard. And, you know, as a coach or a teacher, that's like the perfect student you want. Someone who's going to listen to you and then do what you tell them to do as a coach right, right? and it's what working working with with females of, of any age is incredible mm -hmm. um and then not only just being able to work with them but watch them succeed at a sport that is relatively new and love it is is even better to see yeah it's great i wish all boys practiced and listened <laughs> like the female athletes do they have a lot to learn from them and it's they're great. <laughs> I will second the notion about uh, about the gratefulness as well, because, you know, I think the, the first time we ever crossed paths, we were at an Interlake Thunder workout. I remember I was working with quarterback Maddie Sawicki, who's the quarterback for the Fearless. And I remember after the workout, she wanted to take a picture of me to, I guess, post on social media or whatever. And that yeah. is the only picture I've ever taken with any player I've ever worked with. So, like, it was kind of like, you know, right there and just shows shows the difference and, and the respect. And, you know, yeah. I know my guys... I'm, she's had an incredible career now. Yeah. Right. And like, she's not going to forget that experience. Um, I remember, I remember that just one day of practice where I had a bunch of my buddies who are local, like, you know, from Winnipeg, yep. CFL pros, we all, I got them all together and we gave them just, we gave them a, a day of practice where they can just learn more than they'll ever learn at the community level. Mm -hmm. Right. In terms of being able to work right beside professional players. Right. Cause there's cool. nothing, you can learn a lot from coaches, but there's a different kind of learning when you're learning it from someone who plays it with yes, you. Yes. And um, I was just so happy to be able to to give them that experience. And a lot of those guys ended up coming back and and helping out with women's teams after that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of those girls are still playing too. Like um, Madison's still quarterback for the Fearless, and she's yeah. a phenomenal athlete. Isabel McDonald is still playing. Like, there's tons of those girls are still playing, and they're incredible athletes. Yeah, I know that was an incredible day. I remember that fondly as well. Uh, I want to ask you for every episode for the for the audience listening. I, I you know try and create the episode name with the guest. And Mike, you uh, you wanted to go with the phrase "weak things break." I'm interested. What does that statement mean to you? It me it means a lot, and it's a it's a very loaded statement. But uh, one of my favorite strength coaches is Louis Simmons from Westside Barbell. Yeah, um, One of the most famous strength coaches in the world. And that's actually one of his phrases that he uses is weak things break. And you being a big strength coach guy, uh, being a big coach, um, I think 
not only does it involve a lot of like, there's a lot of physical meaning behind it where we could get into all the sciences and everything behind why it's not great to be weak. Um, <laughs> but uh, also mentally too. Um, football is not for the weak at heart or the weak minded. You have to be a very strong willed individual to be successful in football. Um, it's a hard nosed game. You have to be able to take a lot of criticism, right? Um, you have to be a very mentally tough person. Mm -hmm. It ends up being for the better later on too. Um, but also like phys but physically as well, weak things break. Um, that's just my strength coach talking, my strength coach mind talking. Um, I love to make kids as versatile and as dynamic um and as strong as possible because you know in the game of football it's not just about linear right it's mm -hmm. not just a straight line right. it's it's a it's a conjugate versatile dynamic game where you're going forwards and backwards you're running on angles you're going you know li like lateral you're, you're doing every kind of movement possible and everything is always different um and that's where the conjugate part starts coming into it and, you know, you, you football, you, you need to be strong. You need to be a very strong player uh, to be able to play. And it shows you on the field which kids have taken strength training seriously and which, and which kids haven't. And, um, and that's not just to make you a better performance-wise. It also has a huge health impact as well. Because if you, if you can't take the bumps and bruises and if you can't load yourself eccentrically against concentric forces, so contact, um, if you can't absorb all of that elastic energy that you're doing when you're breaking down and trying to change directions, right? If you're not strong in that sense, you're going to break. You're going to tear a hamstring when you, when you decelerate and change directions. If you don't know how to move well in basic movements in the weight room, like a hip hinge or a deadlift or a squat, you're not going to be able to move well on the field. You're not going to be able to get those yards after a catch. Or better yet, that DB who's half your size is going to run you over. Mm -hmm. And and that's where you get hurt. And that's where it really pays to be where strength is king. Because if, if one thing in football is true, um, you need to be very strong in all, in all facets of movement in that game. And every single play is going to be different than the last. Um, as much rehearsal as you can do in football it's going to be different the very next time you step foot on that field, right? You could run a go route on your first down and a go route on your second down and something is going to be different. Mm -hmm. You can hit the, hit the a gap as a running back one down and then hit, try to hit it again. Second down, it's going to be different. Mm -hmm. And that's where strength training in my mind is going to allow you to succeed, right? You're, you're going to prevail in that sense of the game. Um, and that's kind of why I really relish on that phrase a lot is it's, Strength training and, and weak things break is going to save you both physically and, and mentally. Um, and it'll, I back strength training a lot and it'll give you that very long knock on wood injury free, relatively injury free career. And I think it also, the statement applies to your career and your life and not being weak. And, you know, we talked about it throughout the podcast, but that mental toughness and just kind of how you look at situations, and right? Let's, let's also just just to, to put emphasis on it, let's not get caught up in weak as the, as an ego sense, kind of like a metaphor, right? Um, right. There's no, as you get older in football, there's no room for ego, right? right? Because there's always going to be someone in line ready to take your job. And then there, there's no room for egos in football. If you want to be a great player, some of the best players I've ever met and known are the most humble people I've ever met in my entire life. Ricky Gray, one of the best quarterbacks ever to play in the CFL drove a 1998 Ford Explorer and he was making almost a million dollars a year and he was the nicest person I've ever met. You could, you would have thought that he was just trying to be your friend in church or something. Wow. Right. And, and that says a lot, For right. Sure. And he is one of the most mentally strong people I've ever met and clearly physically strong because he was able to have such an illustrious career. Oh, that's yeah. so awesome. Okay, man, switching gears here. Obviously we For sure. we're, we're coming out of this pandemic, but what have you been doing for the last year and a bit? How have you adapted to life with COVID? How has that affected? Obviously, I know I know what happened to your CFL career, but what happened with your business and, and what happened at home? I know you've, you've got a young child. Talk about that. It was a lot of firsts. Um, Long-time athlete, uh, first-time pandemic survivor, um, first-time first first father. Um, Congrats. And I'm a, I'm a really big optimistic kind of guy. 
glass half full. It was a real bummer to not play football last year. I was really looking forward to playing with Montreal and going with my partner to Montreal and, you know, having that whole experience. But unfortunately, you know, something like this comes along once every 50 years. And again, it's one of those things where it's like, are you going to, how are you going to prevail? How are you going to, you know, get out of this, out of the situation and make the best out of it. And, um, again, it's one of those things. It's, it's a work ethic thing. Um, but you know, I enjoyed it. I haven't had a summer since 2009. Right. Um, and I enjoyed it with my family. We went, we went to the lake, we took the dogs, you know, swimming. We, we, we just had a lot of us time. Right. And, um, you know, rather than sitting at home and, and kind of being all bah humbug about not being able to play sports, I still kept it in the back burner, but really learned how to switch gears and, you know, discover what it's like to be a normal human being again. And what I mean is, you know, you go to football during the summer and that's all you do, right? You go to practice in the morning, you watch film and then you go home and that's it. You don't get to go on vacations. You don't get to enjoy the lake or you don't get to enjoy those walks that you would otherwise. And, you know, we took advantage of it. It was, it was great. But that being said, you had to be mentally strong because you knew at some point the pandemic is going to come to an end and teams are going to expect you to be in shape. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's where that whole professionalism and that professional athlete thing comes in is finding the will to keep training as hard as you do on game day, you know, prolonged over almost two years. So it was tough. I'd be lying if if I said it was all just, you know, rainbows and, and, and cakes and all that kind of stuff. It was tough. It was mentally really wearing because they said we were going to have a season in 2020. So you're playing to be peak performance in May, June or July. And they just, and and they keep you guessing because no one knew. Mm. Right. Right. And you know, it's really, it wears on you as an athlete because you're training harder and harder and harder to be at peak shape. And then you're like, how long can you hold on to this rope as they add more weight to it and your grip starts to hurt? Um, You just had to grow and you had to adapt and you had to persevere. I know a lot of guys retired, but, a lot of guys stayed in it too. And that's that whole being mentally tough, right? Persevering. And you got to find a way. You just, you had to find a way. So a lot of guys got other jobs. Um, you still had to train and keep it on the back burner. But again, like I was an optimist. I kept training, um, kept staying in shape. You know, I did all my own programming for strength to make sure that I didn't overtrain, I didn't undertrain. Everything was coasting really well to lead up till basically tomorrow, (laughs) Um, but also be able to just turn the switch a little bit and, and come back down to reality and enjoy that time that we had off. Right. I had my first kid. We have a son, he's almost three months old and I've been here for the whole thing. Whereas if we were to play football, I wouldn't be here right now. And I'd be missing a lot of firsts. And I'm very thankful that it all worked out the way it did. And again, I wouldn't change anything. I love your outlook on things. I, I love the optimist mindset. I want to I wanna finish your mic today and ask you about who is your favorite player of all time and why? That's, a, that's a, again, a really loaded question because I've had the ability to play with and be coached by a lot of incredible players. I'm going to name two guys that I played with and one two guys that I was coached by. I'll, okay. I'll, four people, okay? I won't okay. say one, I'll say four. Sure. Um, my two favorite coaches of all time are Wally Buono, one of the greatest coaches in football history, mm-hmm. the most winningest coach in professional football, unbelievable human being, um, has more awards and championships than anyone I've ever met combined, and is the most uh, caring and humble person I've ever met. Um, and he's a very big family man, and I respect that a lot. Uh, Kahari Jones, I had him as my offensive coordinator in BC for a large amount of years, and he was going to be my head coach in Montreal. Incredible athlete, absolutely unbelievable work ethic, and such a good mindset on life. Again, huge optimist, great energy, huge family man, and he was able to make a very successful career outside of football. He's a business owner as well. He owns a couple booster juices. Yep. Um, he's an incredible head coach, an incredible person, and he's a really big family guy. And I think that's really admirable. And I'll say the same thing about these two other guys. We've all heard of, you know, Travis Lule, you know, reigning most outstanding player in the CFL, great cup champion, amazing family man, amazing athlete, amazing teammate. I got to share a locker. He was my locker buddy for like four or five years in a row. 
And, you know, it was incredible to play beside him as a, see him, how he functioned as a leader, um, but also learn from him as a friend, unbelievable athlete and human on and off the field. And one guy that's kind of random, but uh, Marco Iannuzzi, he was a wide receiver drafted to BC, played there for a ton of years, incredible athlete. But what I respect most about him is he was able to get a full ride to Harvard. He played football at Harvard. He got a scholarship there. Um, he did business and management at Harvard, MIT, and then he ended up making such a good life outside of football that football became more fun to him because he was so successful outside. And that's not just because he had an incredible education. It's because he had amazing drive, um, incredible work ethic outside of football and, um, and overall, just like amazing human. And again, just, I was able to play with him. He was one of my best friends in BC. Um, but watching what he was doing outside of football was extremely inspiring to see what he did in the business world with Royal Bank. And now he has his hand in several companies and just like as an entrepreneur and as a, as a philanthropist too, like a big time volunteer taught me a lot about what it is to be a professional athlete. And it's more than just a game. Right. And he taught me a ton and I'm forever grateful to have, to know all of those guys. Yeah, yeah. That's an outstanding list. Mike, great people you've worked with in your career. I want, I want to thank you for being on today. It's been awesome to get to know you a little bit better and, and talk about your football story and, and your career. I want to thank the audience who's tuning in weekly. I wish you the most success with your upcoming season, starting training camps. I hope you stay healthy and go defend that cup for us. Go get another one. Thank you. Thank you. I would love to win one. I would love yeah. to win one, especially for the hometown. Yeah. Um, honestly, thank you so much for having me. I've been, I've watched a bunch of your, your, your shows already and I had a great time being on. I know I talk for a very long time. Um, maybe it might be COVID in the pandemic because I haven't had a lot of people to talk to. Um, but I'm grateful for this opportunity and I just hope that, you know, people watch this and, you know, gain some new perspective on the game and uh, and learn a little bit and i just want people to know that if they ever have questions about anything whether it's strength training or football or life um you know i'm, a, I'm an open book 100 percent. you guys can find me on twitter instagram whatever send me a dm and uh i'd love to chat 100 percent. um but yeah thank you so much again for having me on i had a great time awesome thanks thank you again and i hope you have a great night take care